As we approach the preaching of God's Word, we're beginning our reading in Ezekiel chapter 39, we're reading verses 17 through 24, and then we'll turn to our text in Revelation chapter 19. Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 17 through 24. This is God's inspired and infallible word. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord, speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field, assemble and come, gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I am going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountain, the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. So you will eat fat until you are glutted and drink blood until you are drunk from my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. You will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all the men of war, declares the Lord. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see my judgment, which I have executed in my hand, which I have laid on them. And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God, from that day onward. And the nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile for their iniquity because they acted treacherously against me, and I hid my face from them. So I gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and all of them fell by the sword, according to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I dealt with them, and I hid my face from them. Revelation chapter 19, verses 17 to 21 is our text. We'll begin our reading at verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has his name written on him, or rather he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, 
Come assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who, were, who were, had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image and those who were, and, and these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came, up, came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. This is God's gracious word able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. Our God and Father, we look to you as the giver of every good gift that comes down from heaven above, the one in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. We give thanks and praise to you for the good gift of your word, for the revelation that you've given us of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O Father, as we look to your word and to the Christ of your word, that you would enable us to see with understanding, through the Spirit's help, what you have revealed for the church's benefit, for the benefit of your people. So grant us now, O Lord, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that he might lead us into all the truth. He might give us understanding that he might bless, O oh Lord, both the preaching and the hearing of your holy word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. The book of Revelation is a tale of two cities, old Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, which is alternately in Revelation called the Great City, Babylon the Great, and the Great Harlot, representing apostate Israel, and the New Jerusalem, the Heavenly Jerusalem, representing the Church of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19 is a tale of two feasts. In verses 7 to 10, we considered the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, verse 17 tells us about the great supper of God. There could not be a greater contrast between these two feasts. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, all is blessedness, joy, and celebration. In contrast, the great supper of God 
is like something out of a frightening nightmare. It's a graphic description of a great slaughter and its horrific aftermath. The Lord Jesus Christ is in the midst of both of these feasts, both of these suppers. Revelation 19 reveals to us. He's central to the wedding supper where he's the bridegroom and the lamb, but he's also the warrior king riding on a white horse, executing his judgment at the great supper of God. Recall that Revelation 17 to 19 comprises the sixth of seven vision cycles that Jesus shows to John. It forms part of the judgment pronounced upon first century apostate Israel that runs from chapter 5 to chapter 19. This last section of the sixth cycle in Revelation 19, 11 to 21, divides naturally into three parts as John tells us what he sees in this vision. In verse 11, he sees the heavens opened and a warrior king, Jesus Christ, mounted on a white horse, riding forth in righteousness, judging and waging war. In verse 17, he sees an angel standing in the sun, inviting birds to devour the mighty ones that the warrior king has slain in battle. And in verse 19, he sees the beast, his kings, and their armies gathered together in battle against the warrior king and his army. The two visions in our text, verses 17 to 21, introduced by I saw in verses 17 and 19, constitute one actual judgment. The vision of verses 17 and 18 is something of an introduction to or a summary of the vision of verses 19 to 21, but they're nevertheless presented as two separate visions. Someone mentioned to me recently what a well-known Calvinistic Baptist pastor named Al Martin said regarding the book of Revelation. Uh, He summarized the theme of Revelation with two words, Jesus wins. If we we were looking for a a bit uh, meteor summary of the book of Revelation, I think it's this. Jesus is overwhelmingly victorious over his enemies. His people triumph with him Satan's agents, the beast and the false prophet, suffer a massive defeat. 
That, in a nutshell, describes the theme of Revelation. It describes the theme, really, of the whole of chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. Certainly, the text in verses 17 to 21 that we have before us today. We'll look at two things here. In the first place, the warrior king presiding over a dreadful supper. The warrior king presiding over a dreadful supper. And secondly, the king triumphant over the beast and the false prophet. The king triumphant over the beast and the false prophet. So in the first place, verses 17 to 18, we have the, the warrior king presiding over a dreadful supper. Picture in your mind's eye the apostle Paul, or John rather, on uh, the nearly barren island of Patmos, gazing out across the water, hearing nothing but the peaceful sound of uh, the Aegean Sea uh, against it's the shores of the island and, and the seagulls, when he sees another vision, when Christ brings to him another vision in, in this series of visions in Revelation, this time it's of an angel standing in the sun, verse 17. The angel eclipses the sun. And the, the resulting darkness adds to the ominous mood of this horrific scene, the, the invitation to carrion birds, uh, such as vultures, buzzards, and crows, scavengers that eat already dead and even decaying flesh of other animals inviting them to come and feed on the flesh of the dead. In this case, they gorge themselves on the flesh of kings, commanders, warriors, on horses and their riders that the warrior king himself has slain in battle at the great supper of God. Now, what's the meaning of this appalling vision. Well, among the covenant curses listed in Deuteronomy chapter 28 is that of being defeated by enemies and eaten by birds of prey. Deuteronomy 28, verses 13 and 14. The Lord will make you I'm sorry, do, uh, verses 20, 25 and uh, 26. The Lord shall cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways before them. And you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses will be food to all the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. And there will be no one to frighten them away. Now, this is in the context, uh, you may remember, of the blessings pronounced upon Mount Gerizim and the curses pronounced upon 
Mount Ebal. And that's the curse, the curse that God pronounced would come upon the nation of Israel, would come upon his people, his own people, if when they came into the land, instead of obeying the Lord their God and doing all of his commandments, they disobeyed the Lord. He said, these curses will come upon you. So Israel, in this vision to John in Revelation 19, is now being presented as a sacrificial corpse. In the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24, which remember, uh, in which uh, Jesus is warning Jerusalem about his, about his coming judgment upon it uh, in AD 70, he says in verses 27 and 28, For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Israel is the sacrificial corpse being presented to us here in Revelation 19. And as in Deuteronomy 28, 26, there's no longer anyone who can drive away the scavengers. This is a final judgment. We've seen that. We've seen God's judgment on Jerusalem represented in that way. As a, uh, there, there's a finality to this judgment on apostate Israel in the first century. But the symbolism of verses 17 and 18 uh, is taken from Ezekiel 39, verses 17 to 20, which we read earlier. And there the prophet is commanded to speak to every kind of bird and every beast of the field and say to them, Assemble and come, gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I am going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, uh, that you may eat flesh and blood. In, in Ezekiel's prophecy, the, the birds and beasts feast upon the flesh and blood of mighty men and princes of the earth as though they were rams and lambs and goats and bulls. They would eat until they were gorged. They would drink blood until they were drunk with it. From my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you, declares the Lord God. That sacrifice mentioned in Ezekiel's prophecy was the sacrifice of his own people. God is pronouncing in Ezekiel chapter 39 that he is bringing the nations against them, that they will eat the flesh of his people and drink their blood. Eat their flesh until they are gorged, drink their blood until they're drunk with it. And Israel here is being... Uh, presented as a, a propitiatory offering to the nations because of their disobedience to God. And so the meaning is clear. 
the nation that refuses to submit to Christ's lordship as in Psalm 2, whether it's one of the nations outside of Israel or the nation of Israel itself, will be utterly destroyed. Furthermore, remember that in the Old Testament, to give someone's flesh to the birds also expressed the idea of total defeat and shameful subjection to the enemy. Think, for example, of the account of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. David said to Goliath, chapter 17, verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The vision here both portrays for us Israel being offered as a sacrifice Uh, Israel, apostate Israel, being judged for uh, their disobedience and and rejecting Messiah, and those nations with whom Israel was aligned, Uh, the the Roman Empire, uh, the the, the kings that, that themselves were allied with the Roman Empire, these will be slain uh, and be given to the birds of the air. In Revelation, uh, in verse 18 here in our text, six kinds of flesh are specified, but it's mainly a human sacrifice. Kings, commanders, and mighty men are specifications that show how wide the slaughter of the mighty ones will be. No kings or princes or valiant warriors, not even Goliaths, will be able to withstand the power of the warrior king who is the king of kings and the lord of lords. The addition of, uh, in this verse, uh, here in verse 18, of the words free men and slaves, small and great, is designed to show that no one, regardless of class or status, will be able to escape the great conqueror's judgment. The biography of Jim Morrison, the irreverent leader of the 1960s rock band, The Doors, is entitled, No One Gets Out of Here Alive. A quote from Morrison himself, which alludes to the certainty of death. And judgment, our text today teaches us, is just as certain. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Passages... uh, employing such vivid and horrific 
imagery as this causes us to reflect upon our doctrine of God. Is this the God that we worship? Is this the Jesus that we know and love? Christ, like his Father, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And that's cause for joy and celebratory feasting for those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But like his Father, Jesus is also the God of wrath. Jesus is also the God of vengeance, who executes his judgment on the wicked. And that should terrify those who have rejected God and his Messiah, the warrior king, who now presides in our text over the great supper of God. Just as Christ, the warrior king, instructed those in Judea to flee to the mountains from the coming judgment upon Jerusalem, Matthew 24, verse 16. All who have rejected Jesus today are called to flee from this judgment, to flee from the wrath of God by fleeing to Jesus through faith. We've seen then this Uh, this one mounted on the white horse, the one who is riding forth, conquering to conquer, presiding over a dreadful feast, a dreadful supper. And secondly, we see the king triumphant over the beast and the false prophet in verses 19 to 21. The vision in 19 to 21 stands in the closest possible relation to that of the vision of verses 17 and 18. And in fact, is the result of the angel calling uh, the birds to feast on the flesh of kings and commanders and mighty men. It describes in few words the necessary outcome, the certain outcome of the conflict between Christ and his white-robed armies on the one side and the beast and his armies on the other. The imagery of verses 20 and 21 is essentially identical with the overthrow of the beast in Daniel's prophecy, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. Daniel 7, 11 and 12, I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. 
the beast of, uh, the beast of this last uh, vision of this section here in chapter 19 is the one, remember, who's portrayed in chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, the sea beast, which we've identified as the Roman Empire corporately and uh, the Emperor Nero individually. The kings of the earth of verse 19 are the ten kings uh, that, we, that are spoken of in chapter 17 and verse 12, symbolizing Rome's allies. But in a general way, the beast and the kings and their armies also represent all hostile earthly forces that in any way set themselves in the spirit of Psalm 2, verses 2 and 3, against Jehovah and his Messiah, saying, let us break their bands and cast their cords away from us. Of course, uh, uh, while we're, at least in the view uh, that I have been espousing to you, uh, that, the, that the visions of Revelation are, for the most part, consigned to first century Israel, they are applicable to any nation, any, any person, any nation who stands in rebellion to God, who will not submit themselves to God. And that makes the, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, a, of course, an, an extremely applicable book to us today. The false prophet, here in verse 20, uh, who performed signs, is already mentioned in chapter 16 and verse 19, and is, uh, the false prophet is another designation of the land beast of chapter 13, verses 11 through 16. How do we know that? Well, there in chapter 11, uh, or chapter 13, rather, 11 through 16, he performed signs in the presence of the sea beast, deceiving those who had the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. So the land beast false slash false prophet symbolizes apostate Israel in league with the Roman Empire in Christ's crucifixion and uh, the persecution of Christians. Here in this vision to John, the sea beast and the false prophet are thrown alive into the lake of fire. Daniel saw uh, the beast slain and its body destroyed in the burning fire. Chapter 7, verse 11 of his prophecy. But the vision to John conveys an even more terrifying image by representing both beast and false prophet being thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. The lake of fire is undoubtedly to be understood as the equivalent of the Gehenna, of fire, Matthew 5, 22, and the Gehenna of unquenchable fire, in both those places translated hell in our English translations, the hell of fire, the hell of unquenchable fire. Gehenna, the Greek term, literally 
Valley of Hinnom was a ravine south of Jerusalem where fires were kept burning to consume the dead bodies of animals, criminals, and refuse. It's used figuratively in the Gospels and in James for hell, a fiery place of punishment for the ungodly dead. So too, the beast of Revelation isn't a literal beast, and the lake of fire isn't to be understood literally. The idea is rather that of utter destruction. Nevertheless, as we see presented to us in uh, as the, the Matthew 5 passage, the Matthew 9 passage as well, hell is a real place. Hell is a, a place of fiery judgment where the wicked are punished by fire that never goes out. It's unquenchable. We read, lastly in our text, that the rest, verse 21, were killed with the sword which came out of the mouth of him who sat on the horse. The rest are those kings. Uh, the kings referred to back in uh, Chapter 17 and verse 12, they symbolize uh, the, the, the kings and the nations that were allied with Rome. The sword that comes out of the warrior's mouth is a double-edged sword. Hebrews 4, verse 12, the word of God is uh, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The message of the gospel, the word sword of the spirit, goes forth out of Christ's mouth, and he subdues his enemies by converting them piercing them to the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, judging their thoughts and intentions. But enemies who will not submit to Christ, those who will not bow the knee to this warrior king, will receive a judgment of eternal death by that same word, sword, spirit that comes out of the warrior king's mouth and are consigned to hell, the place of fiery judgment. The last clause of verse 21, and all the birds were filled with their flesh, completes the picture that was outlined for us in verse 18 of our text, confirming that these two Visions introduced by the word I saw are, are connected together. They're presented as two visions, but they're connected together. They constitute one actual judgment. The birds gorged with the flesh is another image of the completeness of God's judgment. Again, the, the meaning is clear. The covenant curse 
will be exhaustively executed upon those who refuse to submit to Christ the warrior king. And once again, John is warning those. The vision to John is warning those who are outside of Christ, those who refuse to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, who refuse to admit that Jesus is the anointed one, God's Messiah, will be judged. God's fearful and wrathful judgment will come upon them. And those who find themselves in that dreadful position will find themselves at this dreadful supper over which the warrior king presides. So again, a call to all to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Christ, the warrior king, wins. His people triumph with him. And the beast and the false prophet are double losers. Not only are they defeated in battle, but the very nations that they led in battle against Christ are conquered by his victorious word. Jesus wins. The Bible, not merely Revelation, but the Bible, presents to us an eschatology of victory. Remember, eschatology simply refers to the, the, the last things, the, the final things. Eschatology looks forward to the end of all things and the journey to along the road to the end of all things. And the Bible teaches us that it, it presents to us an eschatology of victory, which must inform our Christian experience if we're to live a life that's pleasing to God and to his warrior king, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Is it really true? Is it really so significant that I believe that the Bible presents to me an eschatology of victory? Well, yes, it is, because our eschatology influences the way we think. It influences our worldview. It influences our view of the world today. And we look at the world through the spectacles of Scripture. That's what Calvin taught us that we're to do, to look at the world through the spectacles of the Scriptures, and the Scriptures give us this eschatology, this outlook of victory on not only the end of all things. Revelation is not telling us that, uh, that Jesus will in the end be victorious. Revelation is telling us that Jesus is, is victorious now. He, he has 
gained the victory through the cross of Calvary. He defeated Satan on the cross. And that's why as we move into chapter 20, we see Satan bound. And you see, if we don't understand that, we find ourselves uh, with a gloomy outlook of history and a gloomy outlook of the church itself. And it's in times like these, it's in times, uh, the very times that we, in which we find ourselves today, that this kind of outlook is essential. Because things are not going well for the church of Jesus Christ. Her bridal gown is sullied. It's ripped, it's torn, it's tattered. And she does not look like the glorious bride with which we're presented in the book of Revelation. But Revelation tells us that Jesus is on his throne. The lamb is on his throne. The Father, the Almighty, is on his throne. And he's given all power and authority to the Son who reigns over heaven and earth. And he is building his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We find ourselves in times such as we're in, uh, in the present. Does that mean that Satan is winning? Does that mean he will win? Is this a battle whose outcome is in question? No, it is not, because Revelation tells us the king, the glorious king, the warrior king, he's come, he's victorious, he's riding forth on his white horse. He's doing that today, and we're riding with him. Revelation teaches us. We ride forth in victory. Even in times that are difficult in the church, we are riding forth with him. And we shall reign forever and ever with him. Revelation tells us. And as Martin Luther wrote in his well-known hymn, he must win the battle. Amen. Our God and our Father, and O oh Lord Christ, the warrior king, the one who is riding forth into the fray, who leads us in victory, who leads us into the battle, uh, the battles that we fight, whether individually or corporately. Oh, Lord, our God, we humble ourselves before you, and we acknowledge you as our Messiah, 
our great King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We acknowledge, O Lord, your great victory over Satan and all of his agents, whether uh, the Roman Empire and the false prophets of uh, your own day, O Christ, or the nations and the false prophets who are aligned against you today. We pray, O Christ, uh, lead forth, grant that we would be willing and courageous followers as you go forth uh, in uh, riding in victory, that we might follow with, with you. Give us, uh, enable us, O, o Lord our God, to adopt not a pessimistic outlook on uh, the church and its trajectory, but an optimistic outlook and an eschatology of victory. Help us to see uh, Revelation as it truly is and the eschatology that it presents as one of victory. And help us, O oh God, uh, to adopt this view and to maintain this view as we walk through this world, ride through this world upon white horses following you on your white horse. Enable us, O Lord, to see this vision that you gave to John for what it is and help us to assimilate these essential principles to the Christian life into our own faith and life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.